the game's all about. All of a sudden, you feel like you can't miss. Welcome to Buckets. I'm Matt Moore, senior NBA writer for the Action Network. Joined as always by Raheem Palmer and Brandon Anderson, bringing you this week a great conversation. We're going to wrap up our MVP conversation from last week. If you missed it, we went through a whole bunch of picks, uh, including Raheem got me on to Jason Tatum, and I have since put down a significant chunk of money on Jason Tatum in the last week. I want to talk a little bit more about why that pick makes so much sense to me. Um, In this episode, we'll talk about a guy that we didn't mention who won MVP last year. We're also in the second half of the show, we're going to talk about coaching and how coaching winds up impacting NBA, both on a night to night basis and in terms of win totals and looking at coach of the year. We're going to look at coaching in the second half of the episode. Um, First, I want to let you know, you guys need to download the Action Network app. If you're trying to track your bets, if you are looking for more information on betting. If you want to know where the money's coming from, how the lines have moved up to the second information, all of it is on the action network app. You can track Brandon's killer props during the NBA season, Raheem's totals and sides. All of the stuff that we do is in the action app. All of our bettings in the action app. You can follow us and track your own bets, track your friends. It's amazing. Download the action network app today. All right, gents, let's get right into this. And I want to start at the top by talking about something that we kind of touched on last week that's been rattling around in my head ever since. So we know that the MVP is built around a narrative. Oftentimes the numbers need to support it. And we're going to talk about how the numbers play in too, but we know that the narrative plays a significant role in how these awards are decided. Oftentimes that means whatever is like the team that is surprising, like, oh, no one expected this team. Look at this team. Look at how good of a story it is. Like Julius Randle picked up MVP votes. The Phoenix Suns, Chris Paul picked up MVP votes. It wasn't entirely based off of metrics. It was like, oh, we need to reward this team for their success. I keep thinking about the Eastern Conference. We all agree that, the, that Giannis, like Giannis was our best bet across the board. All three of us love Giannis for MVP. Uh, I've already bet it. I bet it several times. I'll add more. Um, Brandon likes some of the nets a little bit more to be able to, to pick up some votes. Raheem and I are, are a little bit more skittish about that based off of how difficult it is to get the usage and the story behind you and the expectation that they're going to be good. I think it's tough to for them to live up to the expectations or exceed them to the point. I looked this up and I thought this was really interesting in the last 10 years, there's only been two times when more, than three teams in the Eastern Conference won 50 games. So eight out of 10 times, we've had three or fewer 50-win teams in the Eastern Conference. Where I think this gets interesting is if we look at it and we said, because there's a bunch of teams I think that we can make the argument for winning 50 games. I think you can put the Heat in that conversation. I think you can put the Hawks in that conversation. Um, You can make a, a... I guess about another team, make it the Celtics, I think, are another example of a team that might make that leap. If we assume the, uh, the assumption kind of going in is like, well, there's the Sixers, but we don't know what the Sixers are going to do. We don't know like Embiid has been in the gym, but had the meniscus injury, all of these things. Raheem, I want to start with you. Do you think there's value in trying to figure out which team you, th- and like for you, I think it's the Celtics, which team you think jumps into that tier in the Eastern Conference, whether that you know it's an exceptional year where there's more than three teams or knocks out Philly, like Philly drops down and they take their place. 
I'm kind of interested in the idea of betting MVPs based off of who we think is the Eastern Conference team that's going to be the one that comes out of that middle mess pack. Oh, I definitely think there's value there. And I think that's something that I, you know, I input into my projections when I'm trying to think about who's going to win MVP. Like I said last week, the Boston Celtics, they had a nightmare season last year. Everything that could have possibly gone wrong for them last season happened. So I think that's something that I was looking for, like looking into when I said Jason Tatum. Um, you know, it's something that I did when I made MVP bets in the past. Like my one of my biggest MVP bets was on Harden at 20 to 1 in 2017. And I know that offseason they had hired Mike D'Antoni. They brought in Eric Gordon. They brought in Ryan Anderson. They gave Hart and some shooters around them because, you know, the previous season, the Rockets, they really were struggling. I mean, they, they were the AFC in the Western Conference. So that's something I, I, I try to look for all the time. And, you know, I, I mentioned it before. I think the Celtics are really, they're going to have a comeback year. I think Jalen Brown has really stepped up. I think Jason Tatum is on the press. He, he's on the verge of becoming that superstar. So I've really liked them to be the team that jumps into it. Brandon, does, does, am I crazy on this? You're usually the, the skeptic on these kind of ideas. Are you, where are you at on this? So I think I'm a little less convinced on it. And the reason is I fear that the teams we're talking about, the, the Celtics, the Heat, the, the Nets, or not the Nets, the, the Hawks, maybe the Knicks again, these teams that are going to maybe the Bulls, sure, let's just name all the teams, the Magic, et cetera, et cetera. These teams that we think maybe can break into that three seed, to me, I still think that we're not getting to MVP level yet. I think we're getting to back of the ballot level. And maybe that means that there's a little value here. There's cash out value on an MVP, but, you know, Julius Randle did get some votes, but Julius Randle was never, ever going to win MVP. You know, like he was never even a candidate before the year. He became on the candidates list in the conversation late in the year. He certainly moved further up than anyone would have guessed. But you don't win anything for that unless you found a way to, to cash out a little bit on your odds. So to me, just getting to, you know, when we talk about, okay, it, in the East, there very often aren't those 50, the, the third 50 win team. To me, that doesn't necessarily say, okay, well, can someone get to 51 wins and be the three seed? And now we have an MVP candidate. That just to me tells me that there's not a third team to look at for an MVP candidate. Maybe there's only two. Maybe we still need a team, even if they're going to pass the Sixers, I still think maybe that team needs to catch up to or pass the Bucks and the Nets. They still need to get into that top, top tier. And so I buy that maybe the Sixers aren't the three seed. Maybe it's some of these other teams. I just don't know that I buy that that makes them have an MVP candidate. I think a lot of it is like, you think that they're going to be like, well, look at the Nets. The Nets are awesome. We got to vote for Kevin Durant. And that's not like the voters have shown that's not what they're going to do. Like the voters have shown that they're going to be like, yeah. well, yeah, they won. Yeah, they won 58 games. They got KD, KD and Kyrie and Harden. Congrats. Yeah, I, I don't think it's that, though. I, I'm not saying that they're going to vote for the Nets or the Lakers. I just think that history, historical voting seems to say, OK, take all 30 teams, throw out 25 of them. Whatever the number is, we're only going to consider an MVP from the top X number of teams. And I'm saying that just being a three seed in the East doesn't necessarily put you into that conversation. The, so the Nets or the Lakers having too many good players might knock them out of it. I just don't know if there's anyone else to get into it necessarily. Right. I think what's interesting there is, so here's my problem about if you're wondering why I'm focusing on the East. 
I don't know what to make of the West. We got now Jamal Murray. I got Jason Kidd coaching Luca. I got. I don't believe that and under any certain, like if, if they were ever going to vote for the jazz, it was going to be last year. And the voters emphatically were like, nah, nah, man. Nope. No, no, no. Don't care how many games you win. Don't care. Nope. Don't care how dominant you are. We're not, Rudy's not getting it. Donovan's not getting it. Nope. 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 Um, and like Chris Paul got basically jammed on there. Cause it was like, look at the Suns. Like so we've got to reward Chris Paul. I think an interesting question here, Brandon is Okay. Do we think that Jason Tatum, Trey Young, uh, Jimmy Butler, or any any other representative of any of the other East teams can have a season comparable to Nikola Jokic's? Hmm. From See, not from a metric standpoint, from a perception standpoint. See, I thought where you were going with that, and I, I'm sorry I interrupted you. I thought you were going to Chris Paul. I think that I could see a Jimmy Butler have a Chris Paul sort of year where you know it's well, we all really know he's not the MVP, but the team is really good. Right. We like him. He's done good things. I could get there. I, I can't get to the Jokic thing. Like it's another bridge too far to me with, with not necessarily, you know, the Nuggets were only a three C last year. They're 47 and 25. And that doesn't necessarily fit the profile that I'm describing of this like runaway great team. Yeah. Um, but that, I think that, you're too, that's the thing is I think you're too focused on that. That's starting to be become a thing of the past in the super team era. I mean, you look at look at the MVP voting for last year. Steph Curry was number three. Yeah, like we could we could we could start off this season eliminating the Brooklyn Nets and eliminating the Lakers. Nobody on either one of those two teams is winning the, winning the MVP. So if they are the the number two seeds, you kind of have to drop down to the net, to the two seed, the three seed, or even a four seed. Yeah. Like Steph Curry got 453 points last year. Yeah. It, it's kind of formed into this like cross section, right? It used to be very much like a very simple diagram of what like Brandon is describing. Cause I think you're relying on historical precedent. I think Raheem and I are in the, of the mindset that things are kind of shifting because of the super team stuff. Cause it used to be like a big Venn diagram where one circle was best record or top two record in the, like we talked about this lot last year about how I needed to be a top two seed. And then the other one was basically like led his team in scoring or whatever metric you want to use, like win shares, PER, whatever. It was basically the best player on one of those teams. And that was the candidate and whoever they felt did the, the most, that's who got it. I think we're shifting a little bit now, but I don't think we're going to shift to a point where like Russ is the easy outlier here, but I'm willing to treat Russ as like, okay, just put him in his own category. That's fine. I think Jokic, though, kind of does show that we are seeing a little bit of a divergence. And and you can say, like, well, last year was a really messed up year with COVID. And yeah. that's true. Um, but I do think that there's probably something here where – here's part of it, though, Brandon. Once they break precedent, I think it's easier for yes. them to form a new precedent after totally. it's already shifted. I think, t- to me, though, the difference is this. I absolutely agree. I, I wrote about this back in, like, 2016 – you know, or 2017, I think when Durant joined the Warriors, how it kind of broke the MVP process because Durant was an MVP candidate and Steph was, and then that meant neither of them were. And so it, it like the MVP, you know, the team won all the games and clearly that's who we would normally give the MVP to as one of the best players, but we just couldn't. So we didn't. And so it kind of broke the process and now, 
yeah, that's that's the super team thing. Same reason that LeBron, I think, lost a couple of the MVPs that people think he probably should have won at the start of the decade on those Heat teams. Um, so here, here's what I think is a slight difference to me, though. I agree that we are trending away from where we've been historically. What I don't agree is that we are trying to trend away. I think if there is a top team with an MVP candidate, that is still going to be the favorite. I think mm-hmm. that we chose Jokic last year because there wasn't that. So I think the super teams are causing there to not be that. What if the only two great teams this year are the Nets and the Lakers? Yeah. If that's the case, then the field's wide open because we're going to roll all those guys out. That does fit your entire model of everyone sucks except two teams. Like this mod, this fits very much in like your mental model of everyone sucks. But, but to, to me, this is why I like Giannis so much for the award because whatever the number of teams are here, if the Bucks are in that top tier, he might be the only candidate that is the one guy on the team. I will tell you this though. I don't, it's very rare that the guy that we're like, it's obviously going to be this guy wins it. It's just pretty rare. Like LeBron. Sure. Because LeBron is this is either the greatest or second greatest player of all time, depending on how you define it. Right. Like, but other than that, even in like 2019, there was great odds, great odds on Giannis to win MVP. And even the next year, because nobody expected them to really be as good and they were just as good. So I think like uh, that's my only concern with Giannis is you're you, what you're basically doing is like well look if we just simplify this it's pretty obvious and I'm like that's not how yeah. the NBA goes <laughs> like that's just yeah that's never been my experience with the award um, yeah. I want to get into briefly kind of a conversation about how the award is voted on because we often just say like the voter and yeah. I think it's it does I try and do this every time I write about it and every time that I talk about it on a radio spot or here on the podcast one. Uh, the voting block is 100 voters. That's where the NBA shifted to a couple of years ago. The NBA made a very significant shift a couple of years ago. What they did was they removed team broadcasters because they were basically like, they're paid by the teams. They probably shouldn't be voting on the awards. Like you're literally getting team employees voting on these awards. And they re kind of formatted and they kicked out a lot of the older, like the newspaper columnist type of dudes. And they add more of the analysts like Zach Lowe and Rob Mahoney and Zach Harper. And so now you have, I think, a much better voting block. The voting block can pretty much be divided into a a small number of subsects. There's the analyst block, which I do think at this point takes up a huge chunk of it. Um, It's analysts and reporters. It's Zach Lowe, Tim McMahon, um, the guys from The Ringer, those type of guys that have votes. I have one at CDS one year. Mm-hmm. that chunk you've got the beat writers they do try and represent one from each major market uh they try and represent one from each team so they will try and find somebody to represent from all of those from all 30 teams uh there's tv personalities which is usually the studio hosts the local uh some of the national broadcasters like my brain has one and then like a small subsect of former players that are in media and those guys get votes as well and that's very easy and that allows them to like give a little bit of player bump to it those voting blocks often are not monolith like Ramona Shelburne at ESPN is like admitted, like she's a narrative voter. Like that's who she votes for. She votes for the best story because she's a a narrative reporter. And to her, like, that's what matters is like the best story of the season. Um, You know, Zach Lowe is going to be the one that's going to be like, well, no, it's like, I've, I've done all of the work. I've watched all the games. I've done all these things. I've talked to all these people and I've looked at the metrics and this is what it comes out as there are voters that do a more analytic approach. And so I think when you look at this, you need to try and think about how many cross sections you can hit with your vote. That was one of the things was like Giannis was a pretty easy one last couple of years. I think 20 was always harder. Um, And it's one of the reasons why I think LeBron is still alive 
even though like, you know, Raheem, you said that I, nobody from the Lakers, I'm not willing to go that far because one, I don't trust Anthony Davis to stay healthy. And then two, Brandon has been right that the voters want to give it to LeBron. Yeah. And LeBron's metrics are always going to grade out well. Like his game naturally is going to grade out well. Um, yeah. Raheem, I want to ask you, you've got an MVP model that you mm-hmm. use. Can you explain to the listener what you do and how it works? And are you still using it after what we've talked about in terms of the changes? Oh yeah, I'm definitely still using it. And I think it's, it's pretty accurate. I mean, for me, I included points, rebounds, assists, steals, blocks, minutes played, field goal percentage, value over replacement, win shares per 48. And, you know, to incorporate team performance, I included um, playoff seating and win percentage as opposed to wins and losses due to the short and lockout seasons in, in 1999 and 2012. And then to account for players who exceeded preseason expectations, I also included preseason title odds. So I think that, you know, that kind of tells you, you know, if a team is just they're doing so much better, it, it kind of gives you that. Um, I started out with 56 different variables. A lot of the variables actually just weren't statistically significant. And then there were others that you just had like multi-collinearity issues, um, which kind of forced me to remove from a lot of them from the final model. So all those stats that I gave you before, like those that, you know, they fit in. So it's just like, for example, um, if you, if you know a player's field goal percentage in attempts, you know, their field goal percentage. So it's just like, you don't have to include everything. Um, PER player efficiency rating. That's actually, it's actually statistically significant, but it's correlated with box plus minus. So Mm -hmm. I don't need to put both of them in there. Um, So I, I think, you know, the ones that I have in there, it, it does a great job. And it actually, it had Jokic as it had Jokic and MV and MB one and two. So have you, have you back run it against previous seasons? Oh yeah, I have actually. Okay. I have it. What did it say? But did you, do you, sometime you gotta let me know, maybe not now, uh, but sometime you gotta let me know what it's, what it thought about 2006 and Nash. Oh yeah. Actually I, I did an article. Like I do, like when I post the, the MVP tracker, yeah. I actually have the outlier performances listed. Okay. So the outlier performances were Carl Malone in 1997, Allen Iverson in 2001, Steve Nash in 2005 and 2006, Kobe Bryant in 2008. It actually liked Chris Paul over him. And then obviously I'm Russell Westbrook. I think the thing with Nash is that he averaged 15.5 points per game and 18.8 points per game. So if you're running a regression, most MVP candidates aren't going to have average just 15 points. So I think in two. This is why I like Trey. I just, Mm. he's going to, he's just going to hit all of these data points. His PR is going to be high because it rewards shot makers. Yeah. The impact is going to be there. I looked at their schedule. I just finished doing their win totals analysis. Like their schedule is a cream puff. It's so soft. Like Mm. Trey's Trey is going to stand. If, if they're like that team that I'm talking about, like if they get to 53 wins, even if the 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 Nets are at fifty eight and the Bucks are at fifty six, if the Hawks are at fifty three and Trey is putting up like an outrageous line, I just feel like he like he's the type of player that I would look at and is going to cross all of those models. Like he's going to hit all of those different marks, and so like I think that that's something to think about. Um, Brandon, when we look at like the idea of just the numbers perspective, because you've, you've used this on other awards that we've talked about. I'm curious why 
maybe the numbers aren't such a deciding factor for you, it sounds like. Yeah, I think just because historically it seems like such a, a narrative award that, you know, some if we look at the at the voter history and how the awards are giving out, for some of them, you know, you can well it's similar to to what Raheem is saying. Like I think I think the numbers do play in. It's just that the numbers, it's not just the counting numbers. It's it's the value numbers, kind of, you know, counting for time on the court. Yeah. It's the numbers compared to expectations and win percentage. Like, I think it can be a numbers thing. Raheem's model proves that as long as numbers isn't limited to only just the counting stats that we would normally think of as numbers. So I think if you can use some numbers to approximate some of the narrative storytelling sort of thing, I think, too, I want to be careful about saying like like using Jokic as a precedent because we sat here all last year and even on our podcast, all three of us agreed early, much earlier than the media consensus seemed to be that we thought Jokic should be the MVP, but we kept talking about, will he be the MVP? Is he going to win it? Because, Oh, maybe it's LeBron. Oh, maybe it's Embiid. You know, the entire year we, I almost, I I, I'm someone that cares a lot about the MVP race. I want it to be the right winner. And Jokic to me was clearly the right winner and, and was since like February. But it took us until like April to all agree about that. And it felt to me like it took us ruling out all the other options on all the other teams. And then finally being like, well, we ran out of options. LeBron got hurt. Embiid got hurt. Everybody got hurt. We're out of other options. I guess it really is just Jokic this year. And the problem, like, so I don't want to use Jokic as the precedent because, hey, Jokic was pretty good on a smaller market team that didn't quite win all the stuff, but we gave it to him. Yeah, but we tried real hard not to. We tried to come up with anybody else we could. Right. So I want to be careful mm-hmm. with that. I, I agree that that's, that's good to be careful with, but I think the problem, the counter I would have is he was going to generate a huge number of votes anyway. That was where, like, honestly, like, I'll say this, like, I wrote about Jokic in January about you should bet Jokic to win MVP right now. Um, yeah. Despite not believing he was going to win it until MB went down. But I'll say this is one of the things I really miscalculated was how many of the voters were genuinely going to just be like, no, like he was just the best. Like we do act, we get, I think we Mm -hmm. get carried away on the narrative thing because the voters that vote narrative are so loud. Like the, the voters that vote narrative are, and like, don't get me wrong. Nick Wright's my boy. Like, I used to listen to Nick Wright and KC back on 610, okay? Know Nick a long time, been on his show. Like, love Nick. Nick was crazy last year. Nick was crazy last year with that. But it caused this big stir because that's his job, right? And if you work on TV, your job is to generate those kind of things. And so these, these takes are, are rewarded with what your job is, uh, even if he genuinely believes it. And so – we do have to keep in mind that if there is a player, like if Jason Tatum plays awesome defense, the Celtics win 50 plus games, Giannis, God forbid, has some like has a bad ankle, misses a month. Um, the the Bucks slip a little bit because their depth is bad is worse after the championship. Low uh, you know, rest time after the championship, et cetera. Uh, got you know, got a new baby, won't sleep, good luck there. All these type of things, right? Like it's it's plausible. We're, none of us are are I think Brandon's close to it, but none of us are putting Giannis and Sharpie, right? So yeah. if he slips and Raheem and I are, are in lock on the Nets are not getting it, then 
I think Tatum is a player that can cross all those boxes. I think Trey's statistical production, even if his impact isn't as good because of the defense, can cross all those boxes. And like, let's talk about him right now. Like, we didn't mention Nikola Jokic at all last week. And he won MVP and is one of the most impactful players in the league. Look, if they if they get let's look at them in the West. If they get a top three seed with Jamal Murray missing until at least February, and Jokic I don't think he can because I've looked at his numbers, but if Jokic puts up the kind of numbers that he does, he did last year, Raheem, do you think Jokic is going to be back in that combo? It's just so hard because I just, I don't understand for whatever reason. I mean, Jokic is clearly a top five player, but the market doesn't respect him like that. And I don't know. I think some of it is you got to have those moments and I don't know how many moments Jokic is going to have where, you know, you cut on the TV and it's just like, oh, shoot, he had 50. What's funny about that? They're on national TV, not NBA TV, actual national NBA TV. Don't refer to NBA TV as national TV. Do not do that. Actual (laughs) national TV. They're on it 14 times this season, which is like double what they were two seasons ago. They are they're right there with the Clippers for national TV appearances. Like now they're going to get their teeth kicked in because they're playing like the Lakers and the Warriors every time. Um, But they are on national TV a bunch. I will say that. I mean, if he, if he can get a top three seed, I I think, I mean, he put up, he puts up the numbers that he did last year. I think at some point people are going to respect it is like you said, the narrative voters are always louder than the other voters. So Brandon, I want to get your thoughts on this, especially because you're really confusing me. You've thrown me into a complete curveball with your MVP position because you're captain long shot. And then the MVP, which is like the best long shot market, maybe in sports, you're like, no, everyone sucks. It's just these two guys. So uh, do you think Jokic can win? Is there any value there? Because his number is still pretty crazy. Plus you're 16 to one on Jokic right now. Yeah, I don't think that Jokic can win. I, to me, Jokic is this year's Giannis from last year. I think that going into the year, we, we all talked last year about we knew Giannis was going to be a great player on a very good team. We knew he was going to have all the numbers. We'd seen it before. We knew it'd be really hard for him to get much better, like that the numbers would really improve a lot to stand out. And we knew that we didn't necessarily want to give it to him again. And I just feel like a lot of those same things set up the the framework for how people think about Jokic this year. Uh, we just talked about, like, it seemed like a lot of voters eventually begrudgingly gave their vote to Jokic or gave yeah. him a second place vote. And I just feel like if you, if you saw what we saw last year from Jokic, an awesome season with incredible numbers, and after all that and playing like every game and the whole year, you begrudgingly had to be dragged to the finish line to give him a top two vote. I don't know what's going to have to happen for you to get over the finish line this year. Like I realize the, the Murray's not there thing is the potential narrative path there, but I don't know, you know, like maybe Jokic averages a triple double. He was doing that for a while last year when the assists were much higher, Mm -hmm. but, but also then we're going to have the people like, yeah, but Russell Westbrook triple double. We didn't give him all the awards. And like, we already have that argument answered. You're right. You're right. They, I think they resisted it. That was the conversation that, that I think resisted it. But Tim Bontemps did a mid-season right around when the Embiid injury happened. He did a, a straw poll, 
and it was overwhelmingly Jokic, and it only got stronger. The straw polls that we did at Action were overwhelmingly Jokic, and he got 97% of the vote. Like, I'm, I'm basically what I'm asking here is, is our perception based off of the media conversation different than how they actually vote? I think that's possible. I also think it's possible that a straw poll vote is different than how an actual vote would have gone. It's much easier to to give an obvious answer on a straw poll and not give the, the real answer you give when you actually have to vote, I think. I disagree. I disagree with that entirely. Um, just knowing how the voters like I will tell you, like, I, like this is one that I've done a lot of like I've done more work on this than anything else in my career. And so like talking to the voters pretty extensively, like they, they that's it's just not built that way because it's not built as a ballot. Like it's just you ask people the question. And so like there is like an inherent trust level there. Um, and I also just think that I, I, I will say this though. I think I did the research on this and then did for an article during the shutdown last year, whoever winds up winning, wins it runaway. There's never a cl- even in the, the Russell Westbrook season, it was yeah. definitive. So this leads into the final thing I want to talk about, which is if you're trying to like now, I think is a great time to, to, to bet on MVP. Um, preseason, I think is a great time to, to, to bet on MVP. Cause you're going to get a sense for the vibe of how the team looks like, whether it's like, yeah, there's like discord or somebody's banged up. Or if you watch them and you're just like, they look like they hate each other. Um, or they're just like going through the motions versus teams. Like the bucks came out and we're very much in 2019. Like we're going to kill everyone. Yeah. Um, Jokic was interesting last year. Cause it was like, the team sucked. And that's why his value was still so great the first month is that he was killing it. And if you knew that they were going to be better, you could bet them in that first month. Generally speaking, though, I don't I think that's the exception. That's where I think Jokic is a real exception is I think the best value is preseason um, or before preseason preseason. I think you can start building a position around Christmas, honestly, because you will have a bigger sample than most people are going to ignore. But you do have a big sample of games by then. But by midseason, if you want low risk. The guy that it's going to be is going to be more certain from like looking at the numbers and evaluating where the, where the standings are than what the narrative is going to be about it. Yeah. I, I think that that is something to, to keep in mind is that MVP is one that there is less uncertainty about than I think we make it out to be. Like, I disagree with, I think with Brandon on this a little bit, that like, I think the only time I've seen the favorite at the all-star break lose was Harden and Russell. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just, it was the triple double thing. Well, and, and I mean, that was real. It was close. And then Harden, I like, I did the work. Like I wrote so much that season on that, on that year, Harden slid um, in March and April and Russ like went bonkers, just mm-hmm. like crazy game winners. Everything. Like, it was berserk. I was at the game. He won MVP, which is the one versus Denver where they, he clinched the triple double thing and hit the game winner mm-hmm. and scored like 40. It was nuts. Uh, and like literally after that game, three people I talked to before that game, came away convinced that he was going to, that he was going to be their vote after that game. They were at that game. That's how this stuff can work. Um, Let's talk coaches because I love coaching. It's my favorite. Honestly, I love interviewing coaches. I love talking about coaching. I think it's really fascinating. Um, However, what's interesting, I think is if you talk to analytics people, this is a refrain I've heard from like analytics person after analytics person in the league. Great coaches don't help that much. Bad coaches absolutely screw you. That's like the prevailing sentiment is that good coaching doesn't actually help you that much. And especially not in the regular season. Um, 
Brandon, when you're looking at win totals and you're looking at how to look at the, the league as a whole, I want to talk about night to night in a second with Raheem, but when you're looking at win totals and, and how to evaluate teams, what role does coaching kind of get into when you're trying to figure out who to bet on? Like does coaching factor into your mind when you're making bets? Yeah, it definitely does. And I think, I think your point too, about the, the good versus the bad coaches uh, not to dwell on the negative here, we've moved on to other coaches, but as a Timberwolves and Bulls fan that has that is happy to have a different coach in my life in both of those areas now, I can assure you that, yes, if you don't have the right coach, it it just nothing else matters. It, it just can really tank things. So I think that, yes, if you spot in, increasingly, we don't have that many of those coaches. I think even like 10, 15 years ago, the, the haves and the have nots was much wider. There were like a handful of good coaches. And now it seems like there's like 15, 20 pretty good coaches. You know, I think there's still a few that we really like, but the, the, the cast of deep uh, is deep of good coaches. So I think it doesn't quite distinguish as much to me. The thing that I'm looking at with coaches for regular season win totals, I want the coach that always puts out a good defense defense travels Defense doesn't get tired from night to night. My guys off the bench when I'm when I'm load managing, my guys on the bench can still come in and play some defense. Like the, to me, the, the team we know if you just have an elite offense, we know that you'll put up a lot of wins. But you probably have an elite offense because you have elite superstars. Where do you knew that team was going to be good? It's you know Tom Thibodeau, you know Pop, uh, Mike Budenholzer. These are guys who year after year get really good, tough defense, doc rivers, and like that. They get the most out of their team defense. They get them more out of the sum of the parts than, than, you know, what it should have been. And to me that raises the floor on a team for, for win totals. They're going to get that win on a random Tuesday night in February when no one really showed up and the defense just grinded out the ugly win. So those are the guys that I'm giving the benefit of the doubt to on a win total. Raheem, do you make you make manual adjustments on your power rating, right? Um, yes, of course. I mean, I think you have to. Um, does does coaching is coaching something that you wind up making those adjustments for? There's certain coaches to where I say, like to me, I think the biggest example was Glenn Rivers and Tyron Luke. Like it was, I mean, it was pretty obvious like a week into the season that Tyron Luke was a much better coach than Doc Rivers. It's um, victory lap time and- here on buckets. It is. I mean, I mean, it's been obvious. I mean, you look at guys like Terrence Mann and Amir Coffey, like Glenn Rivers, like they, they weren't doing anything under Glenn. And I think Tyron Luke empowered those guys by having more ball movement. And like you saw games last year, like it was a game last year. I remember betting it. Um, the Clippers were at home against the Miami Heat. I think they were laying a couple points. The line actually moved to Miami minus seven. I took the Clippers at home. I mean, and the Clippers went out there and won that game outright. No Kawhi Leonard, no Paul George. I think the one thing that Brandon didn't mention in regards to coaches, I want a coach who's going to develop that talent and create those deeper benches. Because, I mean, some of that is, is general management. But when you look, look at Kirk, it's like, you know, he always gets criticized for maybe – not running pick and roll with his best guys and getting other guys involved. But I think that's one of the things that makes a team a better regular season team. Um, And I think it's also one of the things that may hurt a coach like Mike Budaholz because 
he's playing the same way he does in the regular season in the playoffs, and it might work for the regular season to go 10, 11, 12 deep, but in the playoffs, it's not as it's not as helpful. So in the regular season, I want a guy who he's going to develop his bench. He's going to get guys involved because you have that deeper bench. You're going to win out more often than not, as long as you have the star players around. All right, I'm going to push back a little bit. Uh, so Doc, win total, gone over the last three seasons. Uh, Doc, I, I do appreciate that Doc is in Philly. I appreciate that there's only one Doc. But uh, Glenn, 8% ROI ATS last three seasons. I mean, look at the talent. You know, there's like – there's nobody who's had more talent than Glib Rivers his entire coaching career. He's coached Joel Embiid. He's coached um, Kawhi Leonard, Chris Paul, um, Blake Prime, Blake Griffin. He's coached T-Mac. He's coached Kevin Garnett, like Ray Allen. Like, it's not like he's – he's not Eric Spostra. Like, I mean, his team, you got to admit, are, though, you got to admit that 2019 season he did – like, that was a team of, like – Tobias Harris and Bojan. Okay, and, and I, I definitely I'll give him credit and, for that one. Yeah, and like that's the that's the one year I'll give him credit for. But besides that, it's like for the most part he's not overachieving. And it, you know, he stepped into Philadelphia, but Brett Brown was Brett Brown was Brett Brown. I mean, I could have stepped in and, and coached that team. I mean, uh, let's, let's, that, that's too much. Brett was <laughs> Brett. I don't think Brett was that bad. I think Brett was in a tough situation. I think Brett got hit with Jimmy Butler. I think Brett got hit with a bunch of tough personalities. I think we're learning that now that like, yeah. that like <laughs> the Sixers brain trust being like, well, we got Joel and we've got Ben. I know let's add Jimmy to this equation. That was a bold to, decision. See, here's the thing to me. Great coaching is, is elevating your team. So you take somebody like Nick nurse, you see what he did with the Toronto Raptors. And I know he had Kawhi Leonard versus um, Dwayne Casey had, had, had DeMar DeRozan, but I, I think he, he made the right moves to elevate his team, whether it's, you know, going to a boxing one or playing this defensive scheme, or it's, it's just his substitution patterns. It's just, it's, 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 I hear you. I would just say that like the whole, there is this idea that like nurse, like, and I, I felt we thought this way about the Raptors going into last year. And then last year we kind of were like, oh, they ran out of talent. Like yeah. that bench is bad. Yeah, it's they were bad. still bad, you know? And so like they would have got like Chris Boucher, like had some moments and, you know, Malachi Flynn's guy that they're talking up right now and those kind of things. But I think we saw kind of the limits of what nurse can accomplish with, because a lot of it was, yeah, if you give Nick nurse, Serge Ibaka and Marcus Gasol, you can and you can try out all of these really complex junk defenses and really screw with teams because that's a lot of it. This is what's really funny to me about the NBA is Brandon mentioned defense and it's a great point. Um, the regular season, in the playoffs, defense is where things are just not the same at all. Yeah. Uh, if you can coach drop coverage with a good offense. If you could just keep, just coach good drop coverage, teach them like ha- have the, the principles set on knowing, per- like get them to, to know their personnel about when to help off and when not to, when to stay home, when to dig, which, you know, hand to force them to that kind of stuff. Just knowing KYP, just get KYP through to them. You will have a good regular season record. If your guys are ready to play every night. 
That's it. That's all you got to do. Not even every night. You can actually dog it versus the good teams. As long as you beat the snot out of the bad teams, the teams that are worse than you, you will wind up with 45 to 55 wins. That's all you got to do in the NBA. You can mm-hmm. game the NBA regular season. And there are coaches that are excellent at it. What I think is interesting is there are coaches that I want for a win total. And there are coaches that I want in specific matchups and there are coaches in the regular season and there are coaches I want in the playoffs and they're not the same guys. Like, yeah, I'm not super crazy about, I don't think like Nick nurse on a night to night basis going into next season. I don't feel awesome about his ability to raise next year's ceiling for the Raptors, Mm -hmm. but if the Raptors make the playoffs or in the play-in, I'm definitely going to want to take nurse because of his ability to match up with them. Um, Brandon, give me three guys that you think positively can impact a win total as a coach. Yeah, I mean, I think it's those, I think it's the same guys I mentioned. It's, it's, you know, it's got to be Popovich year after year. I mean, I've been counting the Spurs out for years now. Their roster doesn't seem like it should stick around. And then it's like, oh, well, here we are we're back in the play in race again. So I think mm-hmm. Pop definitely has to be there. Um, and then I, I think it's, it's the defensive guys that I mentioned. I think, Bud is definitely a guy that has shown that with Atlanta and now with Milwaukee. Um, yeah, those, those are two of the names. I think Spo has, you know, another defensive guy. I didn't mention him before, but he's a guy that's going to get the most out of it. Like Nurse to me is not that guy because I think Nurse is kind of like experimenting. He, he's, yeah. he's playing around mm-hmm. trying things, which is great. And that's part of what makes it work in the playoffs. But I want that high floor defensive coach. So I think those are some of the names for me. Well, there are guys that obviously have like their eye on the postseason, right? Mm -hmm. Like Steve Curry is this model for me of a guy that's going to be like, he's just not going to put the hammer down. Yeah. Right. He's not going to be like, we got to go for this because he went, he literally went for it in 2016 because his players wanted to. And everyone feels like that was a mistake. You know, I think that the funny thing about that is Luke Walton actually coached like the first 25 games. And I think, Luke Walton was more of the guy, like, you know what, I'm going, I'm going to lean on the stars. And then mm-hmm. Kerr kind of came in halfway through the year, if I remember correctly. Yeah. 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 He, because of his back problem. Um, the three guys for me, I do have Bud. Uh, I do have, I have Tom Thibodeau yeah, because sure. Tibbs, the, be, the best thing about Tibbs is he gets them to play hard. I don't understand. Like you can, I, I have no idea what makes one coach good at making guys try and another not. I do not understand it in the NBA, in the NBA because so much of it, I have kind of come to this conclusion that coaching in the NBA, anytime after college in any pro setting is about trust. It's mm-hmm. do you trust this guy with your career? Because you have to be willing to say like, I'll take less shots. I'll play less minutes. I'll play out of position because it, I trust that this guy knows what he's doing and can get us to the title. Like mm-hmm. if you tried to roll out a box in one, on some of these teams, like imagine if Frank Vogel was like, we're going to a box in one LeBron would have him escorted from the building. Like, <laughs> it's not going to happen, but the Raptors like, we're all like, no, okay. All right, Nick. All right, Nick, let's do it. Um, and that's a lot of it. The players, for whatever reason, they do trust tips and yeah. they yeah. just do. They believe in what he, in what he preaches for all of the faults that he had in Minnesota. And I think he did a terrible job, especially as an executive. Um, the problem was never them playing hard. They were yeah. never dogging it. And so Tibbs is an easy over. Here's a sneaky one that nobody talks about. Joe Michael Malone has gone over the win total in every single one of his seasons. Wow. Wow. Hasn't gone under. 
last year they went over like lost Jamal Murray went over. Uh, they may have gone under in 2020 in the, in the COVID season because they were, they, they bottomed out in the bubble because they were missing half of their guys. And yeah. so they had to overplay and then catch back up. But if you assume that one is a void, which most of the books treated it as, then the nuggets have gone over every single season. Malone balances personal relationship X's and O's getting them prepped, uh, has found a defensive scheme that works for Nikola Jokic, tailors his scheme to personnel. They this is a pretty common tactic, but I still like it. They quiz, they have a program on the iPads the players have for scouting that quizzes them on KYP. It's the should you do this or this? And it quizzes them constantly about that kind of stuff. It drove Paul Millsap nuts. He's like, I know this. I don't want to do this. Why are you wasting my time? But uh that's that's one of my guys. Uh Brandon mentioned one of my favorite bad coaches to Faye, which is Jim Boylan. <laughs> Oh boy. Oh, wow. <laughs> I, miss, I miss Jim. I'll tell you, I was looking at the list before we came on. I don't have a lot of coaches. I want to fade. The only coaches that I want to fade this next season are Jason kid. I was going to see him with the Jason kid. Now kid went over, under, over, under in Milwaukee. So I don't know what to make of that. You know, the thing is I wanted to fade Jason kid on a night to night basis because he had his defensive scheme where he was like doing all that trapping. It just against th- heavy three point shooting teams. And I think he was still coaching when we were going through the shift to the, you know, to the small ball three point era. Mm-hmm. And it was just like teams would just lighten them up. And yeah. I made a lot of money during that t- period of time. Um, Jason Kidd, Luke Walton, who I just think the yeah. players do not like or want him to be there. And it's just a yeah. bad situation overall. That's the other one I was going to say, but I, I, there's not many others though. Uh, my only other one, I hate this. So this is, you mentioned, actually, you mentioned the wolves and the, and the bulls, and this is a good like contrast, right? Everyone loved Ryan Saunders. Like everyone loved Ryan Saunders organization loved him. Cause you know, the connections to, to flip and, and all of that, the players loved him. They were all super close to him. They believed in him. They, everyone wanted him to succeed and it just didn't work versus Jim Boylan where like everyone hated him. <laughs> It was just like universal disdain. Um, And by comparison, this guy is in that boat too. Like I want JB Bickerstaff to succeed. I want JB Bickerstaff to succeed. He's a good coach. He's been a great assistant in multiple places. He's won 37% of his games. Like uh, on some, like it never, he, it it never ever is a point where you're like, they have outperformed their expectations to where you can say he got so much out of them. Even if you're like, he got more out of them than the talent. He hasn't had talent. That's absolutely true. Cause he's been interim so much and the Cavs are the Cavs, but I don't feel like I can, I can look at the Cavaliers and go like, okay, but I think JB can really get them above. And that sucks. Cause I want JB bigger staff to succeed, but those are like the three guys that, that I don't, I think I would, I would look to fade. Yeah, I think that that list mm-hmm. of three makes sense. But yeah. it's, again, thinking back to 10 years ago or whatever length of time ago, I feel like I would have had 10 guys at that time that have been like happy to bet against this guy, happy to pick against this guy. And I feel like the NBA, we, we've done a better job of of hiring diversity, I think. Uh, we're getting there. I think we're doing a better job of not just hiring the retreads to just like, oh, well, this guy's been a coach before. Let's get him back in here again. Mm-hmm. I think I think we're mixing things up enough. And yeah, the, the floor is much higher, I think, for most teams than it used to be, which also makes it really bad when you are one of those couple teams that doesn't have it. 
I mean, I think it's also interesting. It almost feels like some of the guys who are coaching now got better and their perception is completely different. Like look yeah. at Nate McMillan or even Monty Williams back in New Orleans. Like I just think they have a totally dis- different perception um, based on what we saw just last year. Uh, let's close this out with, do you guys have thoughts on coach of the year? Do you guys have a, have a pick or two that you want to go over? I know Brandon does. So I'll start with Brandon. Brandon, what do you think? What do you like for coach of the year? Uh, so I dug into today trying to figure out, okay, is there a profile? It, if you'd asked me before I looked at this, I wouldn't have guessed that there was a clear profile of, of what a, a coach of the year looks like. I actually think there's a pretty clear profile. So looking back at the last 10 coach of the year, coaches of the year. So Almost always. So we'll start with this. Tibbs was a big outlier last year compared to what normally would have happened. I was surprised to find that most coaches of the year come from, again, one of those very, very good teams. Not quite a Knicks good team, but a better than Knicks good team. It's almost always a 55 or more win team. It's usually a 60 win team. So that really narrows the field down a lot. All 10 coaches out of the last 10 improved from the previous season's record. Not a surprise, but they improved by an average of 11.2 wins. That's a big jump. All 10 coaches beat their over-under. Not a surprise, but they beat it by 12.1 wins. So, And also, another thing, too, we talked about defense. Seven of the last eight coaches of the year finished with a top-five defense that year. Seven of eight. That's a lot. So, to me, what I'm looking for is, okay, I need a coach on a team that was probably in that like five to eight ish range, somewhere in that range that can make a leap and get into that top range. So in most seasons, what that means is I want a team that won 45 or so games that I think can get to 55 or 60. Now the numbers get thrown off a little bit because obviously we, we haven't played the full 82 the last couple of years, but let me give you from that profile. I found three teams that I think fit the profile best. So I I did this all before even looking at the odds. The team that I like best, the profile that I like best, is also one of the favorites, which was disappointing when I got back to it. I think the Miami Heat fit the profile very well. So Miami went 40 and 32 last year, and their over-under is 48 and a half. So that profile is as a team. We've got Lowry, Jimmy, and Bam. This is a team that's going to show up and try hard if they're healthy. This is a team that's going to defend for sure. They're already a number seven defense. Lowry's going to help that. Spo has never won coach of the year. So that's a pretty easy, like, wait, what? He's never won it. We got to give him one of these. Um, So Miami to me is the team that easily, if things go right and they stay healthy, 55, 60 wins into that three or four, even higher East range. It's easy to see what that narrative looks like. So Miami is one. it, It could get there. I think Boston, we've talked about Boston for the Tatum MVP case. I think Boston for coach of the year, you could make a similar case. Udoka is there. Three of the last five coach of the year were first year on their new team. Boston was 500 last season. Their over-under is 45 and a half. So again, if they can get there, he is the most interesting of the three because he's you can get him at plus 1,800 at BetMGM right now. So that's a pretty good line. He, he's pretty far down the list. So I think with him, you need to see, can you get that top level defense and how much does it matter that we cleared Kemba out of the way and what the team looks like now? So that's the other one. In the West, the team that seems to fit best is Golden State. Steve Kerr has won it before, but we like giving it to repeat winners. Golden State defends really well. Last year, they were 20th on offense, 5th on defense. And so if they defend that well again, 
They were 39, 33. They were in a play in game. Their over under is 48 and a half. So they're another team. If things click with them, they can get to that 55, 60 win range in what is an easy open West that even could be the one seed in the West. And I've seen occur as high as plus 1200. The narrative is not quite as easy on that one because we've just seen his team so much better. So I, I like that less than the other two. But to me, Spolstra and Udoka are the two that stuck out that fit the profile. What do you guys think of any of those names? I like Udoka. I hate mm-hmm. her. I do not like her. If yeah. you're going to do that, just bet Steph to win MVP. Like if you think that's plausible, that's yeah, on the board. Just bet Steph mm-hmm. to win MVP. Steph's getting the credit for that. Yeah, Udoka definitely jumped out to me as well. They're gonna. They're just gonna be like. Congratulations. You got Clay back. You got Steph and Draymond and Clay. Congratulations. Like good coach. Yeah, you coach good defense, whatever. You have two top 10 picks. Steph Curry, Draymond Green and Clay Thompson. Congratulations. Like that's yeah. that's that one. Um Spo I can't just because like I wrestled for like 2 days with the over under and I just can't I just can't with the heat. I just I, no matter what the indications are, I do not buy it. I don't buy this team. And so I can't, I can't go that route. Uh, I like Udoka though, quite a bit. Um, mm-hmm. Mine. I like uh, Quinn Snyder who didn't get it last year, despite winning a bajillion games. If the jazz do it again, it may be one of those Greg Popovich type situations where you're just like, I mean, the jazz were just, the jazz had the best record in the league two years in a row. He's this guy probably deserves the credit for being a great regular season coach. I like uh, Quinn Snyder at um, that's 11 to one at DraftKings. Uh, I love Michael Malone at 14 to one. If they wind up with the top four seed, not only is Jokic back in the MVP conversation, but it's going to be like Malone got them back without Murray and blah, 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 blah. And Malone hasn't won one hit the over every year. Doesn't really get in these conversations. I like Malone at 14 to one. I think there's good value there. Um, let's see. And what was I going to do? Hold on. I gotta check my to-do list. Uh, annoy Brandon. Oh, that's right. I like uh, Billy Donovan at 10 to one, uh, because if the <laughs> bulls wind up making that jump, big market, big market team. If the bulls are that team that everyone's like, Hey, the bulls are the four seed. And like, they're clearly not as good, but they're getting a lot out of it. And this isn't a superstar laden team, right? It's Zach Levine and Lonzo Ball and DeMar DeRozan and Nikola Vucevic. Like that's a lot of like pretty good guys, but if they want to be in really good, then Billy Donovan at 10 to one is going to look like great value. He's got a lot of respect from other coaches in the league. This is a lot of like, this one winds up coming down to who people talk about and the coaches will talk about Billy Donovan as, as being really well respected. Raheem, you got any that you like? Um, definitely you don't go. I mean, I, I just think I'm, I'm all in those Celtics improving this year. So I think that's a big one for me. You're just doing um, it to troll me for last year's Sixers Celtics bet. No, I'm really not. I mean, I, I mean, the name of this game is, is, is buy low, sell high. Last year I sold on the Celtics this year I'm buying. So I think that's the one that jumped out to me. Um, I want to say Tyron Lou. That's my guy. I'm just no. a little bit worried. No, that's man. That's a good point that we're, you were talking about this on Twitter after that, that convert, that article by Azerly I retweeted that, because you you and I are going to be on the over for the for the Clippers at forty four. The only and a half. thing that worries me is their schedule is pretty bad. Yeah, it's bad. I mean, it, it's just like they they took care of the Lakers, but they ain't take care of the Clippers. So that's the only thing that's kind of holding me back on this. But I, I think the Clippers are going to be better than people expect. Here's like the model is like they wind up with forty eight wins without Kawhi, but nobody in the West else is really all that good. That it's just and that's like, what I'm thinking. 
like Lakers are good. And then two of Warriors sons nuggets are good. But then the, the, you know, the Clippers somehow get the four seed because everybody else disappoints. Like that's the model for it. Brandon, what do you think? I just, the, the, the model to me, I, I think that you guys are shooting in the wrong range right now. I think the teams, the teams that were too good last year don't fit the history of what the winner has looked like. And the teams that were too bad to get to the really good don't quite fit either. So I, the Clippers one, you know, Clippers and Nuggets have the built-in excuse of like, okay, well, Kawhi and Murray out. So that changes the equation. So I can, I can see that with those. Um, I think that we need a coach that's going to get a team. It's the back to the same MVP conversation. Again, you've got to get to that top level. And I, I don't know. That's why I'm looking for a coach that can coach defense and, and push the floor a little higher. I think how I mean, Raheem, Raheem was out on Boston last year and is in this year. I think Miami is my version of Boston. I think I like this team. I think it fits. I, I don't love them in the playoffs. I'll be ready to fade already, but I think it looks like what should be a very good regular season team. Like they shape to me, like they fit kind of the old Raptors, the, the old Hawks, the sort of team that just like compiles lots of wins and plays hard and shows up every night. And I thought about Jimmy Butler as an MVP candidate for the same reason at 66 to one, but he seems to me like a back of the ballot guy the, the same, like the cases we've made for Tatum for Paul George, I think Butler could be in a similar case. I just don't think that that's an MVP, but I could see it as a coach. I could see if they get there, that Spo gets the reward. I'm really confused about this because you keep talking about these guys like Jimmy Butler and Jason Tatum, like they don't put up numbers. Like Jimmy was like Jimmy was 22, 22, seven and seven last year. Like, I don't even think Jimmy Butler's that good, <laughs> but like, you know, he was, he was 22, seven and seven. Tatum's numbers were even better. Tatum's production is like through the roof. Like those guys, I, I, think, numbers. I think we got to talk about Nick Miller. Um, yeah. because I, yeah. I, I think what he did since Lloyd Pierce got hired, um, it's just been incredible. And if they could put together a full season of that, you know, why can't they be the 2001 Sixers? So uh, one thing I thought about with this award is that sometimes it's a rollover effect, yeah. right? Where if the guy doesn't get it the year before he gets it the year after yep. there's a yeah. little bit of that payoff for when guys do that. Like I know Brandon's very big on those, this, these categories that he's, he's found, but like there's oftentimes like nurse won it in 2020 yeah. Yeah, after winning the title example, in 2019. Uh, Budenholzer was an obvious candidate in 2019. Like that one was just like, it was obvious, right? Dwayne Casey had been mentioned as like one of the good coaches for years and won it in 2018. Um, so there's like all these kind of situations. Nate is one where, again, we're in this, I, I'm telling you, find the, the Eastern Conference team that you think is going to be the one that jumps into that top conversation and either bet their guy for MVP or coach of the year. Because Brandon's doing this with coach. Like it's, if, it's the, if the Heat get there, it's mm -hmm. Spo. And like, I think at that point, Jimmy's probably, I mean, this is one of the things though, right? Is like, you can, for most of, most of the coaches, you can get an MVP candidate out of these conversations for coach of the year, right? If we go back, like Randall got votes that not back of the ballot guy, I understand, but he got votes, right? Nurse was a little bit different. Giannis in 2019, uh, 2017, you obviously had Harden, right? 2016, Kerr, Curry, like, there, there's oftentimes an overlap between MVP, I think, and, and coach. So that might be like this, this, I, I'm really sold on this idea that find, find your Eastern conference team, whoever it is, 
And I think Brandon's in on the, on the heat. God help him. And uh, Raheem's in on the Celtics and I'm in on the Hawks. And this will be fun. I'm excited for this. Yeah, I, I was waiting for the Hawks. To, when I talked about the three candidates, my my model, as, as it were, included Atlanta. Atlanta was a fourth candidate. That fits really well. The metrics I talked about as you know, yeah. that, that right range of wins ready to jump. They just don't fit a team that's ready to jump to me because they were finished 21st on defense last year. And I'm looking for that high floor team. And that's what, what did they finish under Nate McMillan? Yeah, I don't I don't have that number. Certainly high because, I, because they got their players healthy too. So I think I think it's the floor is higher than that for sure. I just have a hard time seeing this version of Atlanta get to that top tier. But if you to, believe uh, them, I think it makes sense. I think it's a good Canada. They went to 15th under McMillan. That's how they were after McMillan got got hot, got yeah. hot, well, took over. So I don't know. It's, uh, the defense is the area I'm, uh, that I'm most concerned about um, for the over, but I'm still going to be banging yeah. the over pretty heavy. All right, we got to get out of here. Thanks for joining us. I love these conversations. These are so good. We continue through the offseason. Fellas, we are two and a half weeks away from NBA Media Day. I know you're excited. Wow. I know you're not completely <laughs> exhausted because all of you, but the two of you have been doing nothing but doing NFL round the clock for the last three weeks. I know you've got to be excited. The NBA starts as well. Double the work. Double the work. Double the work. It's, it's on. I, I, I told people yesterday, when NBA starts, it's on. We're getting Bentleys. <laughs> Brian Palmer's excited. Brandon Anderson. Yeah, I'm excited. Brandon Anderson's skeptical. <laughs> we'll see you later. This has been Buckets by the Action Network. Make sure to rate, review, subscribe, download the app. Tell a friend. We want to get the word out about the show. If you like this episode, please share it on Twitter or social media of any time. Hit us up on Twitter. You can find me at HP Basketball. We'll talk to you guys again next time on Buckets from the Action Network.